Hey, you want to buy a mask? They're soft and comfortable and made in the USA and guaranteed to keep you from getting the coronavirus. Well, the last part isn't true. There are no guarantees in this world. And to be honest, I'm not even sure if masks make a difference or not. The experts are still fighting about it, it seems. But either way, you can't go anywhere these days without a mask, so you might as well get one that helps my foundation close America's skills gap. We're raising money all month for our next round of work ethic scholarships, and these masks have been a real lifesaver for us. People love them. 100% of the proceeds go to my foundation. So pick up a couple of microworks.org slash shop. That's microworks.org slash shop. This is the way I heard it. The Millers just knew that Loring Johnson would be a perfect son-in-law. Bright, handsome, ambitious, and best of all, Methodist. So when Loring proposed to their oldest daughter, the Millers rejoiced because they knew they were getting more than a son-in-law. They were getting a Johnson. T.C. Schnebly, on the other hand, was another story. Like Loring Johnson, Schnebly had fallen for one of the Miller girls. But unlike Johnson, Schnebly was not the kind of son-in-law Phil and Amanda had in mind. You simply can't marry a Schnebly, said Amanda. He's a Presbyterian. Indeed, said Philip. What will the townspeople say? Turns out, the townspeople said quite a bit and... None of it was very nice. Philip Miller's getting 100 son-in-laws, they said. Loring is a one, and Schnebly a double zero. <laughs> Nowadays, true love might be non-denominational, but back in 1901, the Methodists of Gorin, Missouri, found themselves surrounded by encroaching Lutherans, Baptists, Episcopalians, and Presbyterians. So even though their daughter said, I do, the Millers said, we don't. And young Mr. Schnebly found himself at odds with his new in-laws. For nearly four years, he tried to win them over, but nothing could assuage their disappointment or temper their disdain. Ultimately, Amanda Miller shunned her own daughter, and the pain and strife became too much to bear. With two small children, the Schnebleys yearned for a more peaceful existence. They dreamed of a quiet place, a place of solitude and beauty. But where? One day, T.C. received a letter from his brother, raving about a faraway place of unsurpassed tranquility. Ellsworth Schnebly was a frail man and required a climate that suited his weak constitution. Apparently, he'd found it in a lush, verdant canyon in the high desert with clean air and a fast-running mountain brook surrounded by breathtaking buttes and monoliths. The Schneblys fled Gorin with all due speed. After connecting with Ellsworth, T.C. homesteaded 80 pristine acres and quickly fell in love. There was something magnetic about the place, something magical about the way the canyon glowed in the evening sun. The Schneblies built a stone house nestled in a grove of cottonwoods, tucked into the gentle bend of a winding creek. And that's not all they built. You see, the Schneblies believed that others would be equally enchanted by the strange beauty of their new surroundings. So T.C. built a ten-room way station in the middle of nowhere. His neighbors might have called him crazy, but T.C. didn't have any. So he built a road that ran all the way to Flagstaff. And sure enough, the people started to come. They came for dinner and stayed for the night, luxuriating in the tranquility of the quiet canyon and marveling at the serenity. One day, 
It occurred to T.C. that his guests might extend their stay if they could send and receive mail from his little bed and breakfast. So T.C. applied for a post office permit. After many weeks, T.C. got a response from Washington, D.C. Dear Mr. Schnebly, We're happy to help you set up a post office in your home, but regret to inform you that Schnebly Station is too large to fit in the cancellation stamp. Please select a shorter name for consideration. T.C. read the letter to Ellsworth. His brother said, Why not name the post office after your wife? T.C. turned to his wife and said, How would you like a post office named after you, dear? Mrs. Schnebly smiled as T.C. wrote her first name into the space provided, and a few weeks later, the tiny desert community in the middle of nowhere had its very own post office, named after the wife of Theodore Carlton Schnebly, a young woman ostracized by her own mother and driven from her home by the kind of discord and strife that can only result from marrying a Presbyterian. It's ironic because the town that eventually grew up around Schnebley's little bed and breakfast would adopt that very same name, a name now synonymous with tranquility, peace, and spiritual healing. It's enough to make you wonder if the U.S. Post Office had used a smaller font back in 1902, would the people be traveling from all over the world to experience the strange and abiding peace of Schnebly Station? Or if the Millers had welcomed T.C. into their family all those years ago, would people today be talking about the mystical wonders of magnetic vortexes that still surround the Schnebly home? We'll never know for sure because today... Those who seek enlightenment and the metaphysical glow of those now famous red rocks do so in a town whose name was concocted by a mother who pulled six letters from thin air and gave them to a daughter she would ultimately disown, a daughter named Sedona. Oh, and one more thing. On the subject of irony, remember Loring Johnson, the perfect son-in-law who pleased the Millers with every word and deed? Yeah. He went to Leavenworth. The details of his incarceration are inconsequential, but he died in custody, bringing great shame to Millers, Methodists, and Johnsons everywhere. And that's the way I heard it.